You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Deke Hager. And I'm Benedict Jones. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, February 6th. Later in the program, we have Activate Narratives from People Making Positive Change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines. On February 1st, at the Bloomington City Council meeting, Council Member Jim Sims shared upcoming events the city is hosting to honor Black History Month. My report this evening is today is the first day of Black History Month. Um, I would be remiss not to say that, of course, it's the shortest month of the year, but uh, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, But what I really want to do is recognize the city um, and what we're doing to recognize and make uh, more people in the community more included um, and and just feel more welcome in our town. Um, The city has committed resources um, along with other community organizations and individuals. And besides the mayor's input and the mayor's office, actually Ms. Beverly Callender Anderson, who is the director of the Community and Family Resources Department, and one of her staff, Ms. Shatoya Moss, who's the Safe and Civil City Director, are the engines that's driving this month-long celebration. Um, wished I'd have saw many of you more at the kickoff, Um, But that's okay, there's a lot of things happening this month and you can find a lot of those, or a list of those full activities online and it's at bloomington.im.gov backslash BHM. Bloomington.in.gov backslash BHM. Now this month's Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Theme. I'm sorry. I lost a word for a second. This month's theme is called Black Innovation. Um, and if you look at our uh, display case out in the hallway on your way out, if you didn't see it on your way in, take a look at that. Um, it, it has a display of some of um, our black Americans and some of their inventions um, that has been over the course of a lifetime. There's patents. There's many of the things that some of you may not even think that were invented by black people. Um, But it's important, I think, to educate folks on those contributions to society. I think long term, that'll do a lot to take care of some of the systemic, now not all, but some of the systemic issues that we face um, because we just know more about each other. And I think that's very, very important. Um, so if you look it up online, I hope we see many of you in other events throughout the month. Um, it was a great kickoff the other day, a great keynote speaker, a great uh, mus- musical group. Um, so I just want you to enjoy 
get to know someone that you didn't know when you walked into that event, and that'll make this a much, much better community. So thank you. City Clerk Nicole Bolden also encouraged council members and community members to attend the events. It's Black History Month, and I wanted to take a moment to address all of you. I think by this point, we're aware of two black men who were recently killed in this country. And to partially quote Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the wonderful article that he sent out, these killings don't celebrate the joys of Black History Month, but they certainly reflect the reality of black history. And this is really hard because Black History Month is supposed to be about joy and it's supposed to be about celebration and it's supposed to be about learning. It's a chance for all of us to learn things that we were never taught in the past. On Monday, as Councilmember Sims noted, the city of Bloomington kicked off Black History Month with a reception and a talk given by Elise Smith. And I'd like to particularly thank our current and past city and county leaders, uh, Councilor Crossley, County Councilor Crossley, Judge Valerie Houghton, Councilmember Sims, and Councilmember Piedmont Smith, and our former Deputy Mayor Donald Griffin, who all showed up to this very important city event. We ate, we sang, well, to be fair, I hummed along, you don't want me to sing. And we learned, and we celebrated. And I know that not everyone can attend every event, but I wanted to stress to everyone that we have four more weeks of wonderful programming and learn opportunities to learn and grow as a community. If you go to the city website, there are links to the Black History Month calendar, which also includes not just the events sponsored by the city, but events sponsored by IU and other local community groups. And I have a copy of the calendar here for all of you or any members of the public who'd like to grab one before you go. But it's not enough for us to mourn the losses in our country. We also have to take our time to grow and to learn and to come together whenever possible. And we have to find the joy. This is part of what this month is all about. So I plan to be at a few more events over the next month. I can't go to everyone. But I really genuinely look forward to seeing you all there or some of you when I go. And thank you. During public comment, dispatcher Katie Rock spoke on behalf of the dispatchers of Monroe County Central Emergency Dispatch Center. She outlined their goals for unionization and asked the council to support the union. As we have recently asked Mayor Hamilton to voluntarily recognize the union we are forming with Communication Workers of America, I just have a very short statement for you guys tonight, just to tell a little bit about what we do and our goals for unionization. Uh, so we, standing here, are some of the voices that you guys hear if you call 911 anywhere, anywhere in our county. And if any first responder in the field in our county radios for assistance, we are the voices that calmly respond to them and make sure they know that they are getting everything that they need while we work in the background to get what it is that they need. Um, we have a few goals for unionization, and they are we would like to be recognized by the city as first responders, as all of the other first responders are. We want to work towards more diversity in the dispatch center. We would like to work towards more reliable and consistent scheduling. 
and we would like to create a more robust pay scale that acknowledges both the levels of difficulty and stress that our job entails, as well as the decades of experience that some of our dispatchers have. We strongly believe that these changes can help to greatly reduce the high turnover rate we are currently experiencing at our dispatch center, while incentivizing the many devoted dispatchers we have currently to continue to choose to work in our center in Monroe County for many years. Uh, we hope that Mayor Hamilton will soon choose to voluntarily recognize our union, and we are very much looking forward to beginning the bargaining process in the near future, and we hope to have the city council support as well. Thank you very much for your time. Also, during public comment, Council Attorney Stephen Lucas read a comment submitted in the chat box of the Zoom meeting shared by a local resident, Sam Dove, about a protest on February 4th. Uh, Sam says the City of Bloomington, Asian Pacific Islander American Public Affairs Association, Indiana University, and the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum invite the community to a rally on February the 4th in support of the Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islander community. The rally will include local leaders, Indiana University students, and officials coming together to stand against hate, bigotry, and discrimination, and to promote unity. The event is Saturday, February the 4th at Dunn Meadow, which is on North Indiana Avenue between 7th Street and the Sample Gates, on the IU campus from 2 to 4 p.m. and is free and open to the public. Face masks are optional. Uh, rally collaborators include the City of Bloomington, Asian Pacific Islander American Public Affairs Association, National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, Indiana Chapter, the IU Asian Culture Center, IU Asian American Association, IU Jewish Cultural Center, IU Department of American Studies, and the IU Dean of Students, Division of Student Affairs. Uh, for questions or additional information about the rally in support of the Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islanders, contact uh, uh, APAPA, Indiana Chapter President Linda Shee at APAPA Indiana at gmail.com or 812-314-5117. Next, the council appointed new members to commissioners and debated removing Greg Alexander from the Traffic Commission. Council member Dave Rollo introduced the ordinance. I move that Greg Alexander be removed from the Traffic Commission for the following cause. For posting obscene and inappropriate statements, including statements directed at and antagonizing members of the public that are unbecoming of an appointed member of a public body, which have diminished Mr. Alexander's ability and fitness to be an effective member of the Traffic Commission and to represent the best interests of the city. Council member Steve Voland said the motion should be referred to the Special Committee on Council Processes to solicit a recommendation on how to move forward before a council meeting in March. Voland explained his rationale. I think that this is, well, I know that this is unprecedented. We have never uh, removed someone from a commission for cause in the time that I've been on council. Uh, we have no process for it. Uh, the reason for uh, the, the motion I'm presuming is controversial statements made by the, the member of the body in question. Um, and, uh, you know, we've heard public testimony tonight from a couple of people who were referring to uh, this, uh, this motion. Um, I don't even know where to begin with how problematic this action is. Um, we, uh, there's a very poor uh, understanding of the terms for cause. 
Uh, the action, I believe, is extremely political. Um, that uh, why I mean, there's a difference between uh, m uh, words that should be censured and statements that are political critiques. Um, I believe that uh, uh, some kind of censure is in order, that members of boards and commissions need to understand that it's not okay to personally insult people if they are representing uh, the public on a board or commission. But uh, I would also point out that Mr. Alexander has always been a fierce critic of transportation policy. He is a fierce critic of the Elm Heights neighborhood having gotten benefit for uh, or more attention than most neighborhoods do, including his neighborhoods. He's a fierce critic of Councilman Barallo, who made the motion, uh, who allowed uh, Elm Heights to have an unprecedented access to this body, to have a member of the public present for an indefinite period on this topic. Uh, it's not a privilege that's been accorded to any other person. Uh, uh, the member who seconded this motion was the president at the time and allowed that process. This is a matter of process. Council member Matt Flaherty commented that he agrees with Bolin about process and would support the amendment. Just to note that uh, I, I support the motion. Obviously, I seconded it. Um, <clears throat> Council member Bolin raises some important points about precedent, about equity and fairness in the administration of the council's responsibility. Uh, to uh, oversee its, its board and commission appointments. I think uh, an important point here is that um, this is not the consideration of a reappointment or an appointment. It is a consideration of four-cause removal. Uh, that is very different than what we've heard from some members of the public about, for instance, council, um, board and commission members serving at the pleasure of the council. That is incorrect. They, they are duly appointed members who are serving in their own right and can only be removed for cause. If they served at our pleasure, they could just be asked to, to step down without cause. So we are in a legally distinct uh, space, having reappointed um, Mr. Alexander. I think it's entirely possible that that reappointment might not have occurred had the information that everyone knows now been shared at that time. I don't know. It was not shared uh, prior to that reappointment. And so I think um, it's an important distinction I wanted to make, the, the, the sort of category we're in now considering for-cause removal as opposed to uh, considering whether or not to appoint someone or reappoint them in the first place. Uh, I think the much more complicated uh, issue, including constitutional rights claims around due process and First Amendment, uh, would not have been implicated had all council members been made aware uh, of what some knew prior to that appointment. So I just wanted to highlight some of those issues and uh, voice again that I'll be supporting the amendment. Thank you. Council member Susan Sandberg said she supported the initiative to refer the removal of Alexander to the committee, but she acknowledged that she believes harm was done in this incident. This committee could work quickly. I have no issue with having this be a process because we this is unprecedented and harm has been done. Harm has been done to the community. Harm has been done to community engagement. So I think Taking time is good, getting a process is good, because up to now, our process only deals with if a commissioner who is appointed by this body misses three consecutive meetings, that's the only grounds for dismissal. Now we're in this new situation where words have been said, they have been hurtful, they have dissuaded members of the public from even wanting to come forward to this body, and so I think there is some timeliness that needs to be respected. If we're going to take a look at our process and have a due process for this particular instance that is harmful, 
and people are looking to us for leadership to make sure this never happens again, I think time is of the essence. So again, no problem with postponing this so that we can come up with better standards for any member appointed to a commission who has an obligation to speak and to behave in a manner that treats all members of this community with the respect that they deserve so that they will feel comfortable coming forward for any action that any of our boards and commissions take. I, I regret that we find ourselves in this position, but the community is looking to us for leadership to make sure things like this don't happen, feelings are not hurt, people feel that they are being treated in a hostile manner, not a welcoming manner. The motion passed unanimously to refer the incident to the Special Committee on Council Processes. The Council will hear the committee's recommendation at their meeting on March 1st. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on February 8th. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine. KiteLine is a public affairs program that covers prison issues around the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB Community Radio. You can find all episodes of KiteLine online at wfhb.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. On Monday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey announced new rules for prison good time incentives that allow some inmates to shorten their prison stays based on their behavior. Ivey signed an executive order that she said will provide, quote, clear rules for prison staff and inmates on how much good time credit will be lost for different categories of offenses and how an inmate can restore the credit. However, the order essentially ends good time or makes it extremely difficult for anyone to earn it given the brutal conditions across the prison system, said Carla Croder, executive director of Alabama Appleseed Center for Law and Justice. Quote, this is absurd and reflects state leadership that is completely out of touch with the public safety crisis in Alabama prisons. It would be laughable if it weren't so sad and dangerous that anyone believes harsher punishments will fix this crisis and make anyone safer, Crowder said. She said many of the people eligible for good time and impacted by the executive order are young people incarcerated for nonviolent drug and property offenses. Inmates at Seattle's SeaTac Detention Center are facing cruel and illegal conditions without adequate access to medical care, food, and communication. Please join our phones app on Tuesday, January 17th from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, calling once or as many times as you can, asking that the associate warden's office take immediate steps to correct the situation. Here's a script you can use. I'm calling on behalf of inmates at SeaTac Federal Detention Center, asking for the leadership to address the cruel and illegal conditions at the facility. Without a long-term warden and the presence of leadership at the lunch line, it's been difficult for inmates to directly address concerns themselves. Because you silenced them, I'm calling on their behalf to let you know that many people across the nation are watching SeaTac right now. Please take immediate steps to improve conditions for every inmate at SeaTac by providing a minimum of 2,000 calories a day, a doctor on site at the facility, immediate access to prescription medications, immediate access to dental care, 
increased email access, and then a long-term warden assigned to the facility. Again, that's Tuesday, January 17th from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Call once or as many times as you can. Thank you. Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. Today's episode features Chris Jackson and Michael Bird with the Bloomington Council for Community Accessibility. We turn to the latest installment of Activate on WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in and encouraging you to live your passion, make a difference, and get involved. My name is Chris Jackson. I am the chair of the Bloomington Council for Community Accessibilities Accessibility Committee. So my day job is with the library where I manage our outreach services, and we serve a lot of people with disability and mobility limitations through the outreach department. A lot of older individuals, uh, people who can't make it into the library, my job is to make sure that my department can still deliver library services to those folks. And when I started on that job, I realized I had a lot to learn about disability in general. So I started attending meetings of the Bloomington Council for Community Accessibility, mostly sort of listen in. But as often happens, if you uh, show up for more than a couple of meetings, you get uh, drafted into a uh, position of somewhat more authority. And that's how I ended up becoming the chair of the committee. And my name is Michael Bird. I'm a member of that committee and also a surveyor. And I got involved because I'm just a great believer in community volunteer work. Uh, it's been a part of my life. I'm a great believer in national service and that serves you know, that purpose. Also, my wife has uh, a variety of accessibility uh, challenges, and I use my work with the, the committee and with the surveys to essentially inform her of where the, the community is up to snuff or perhaps still needs help. The Council for Community Accessibility is a, uh, a council of the city of Bloomington. Unlike many of the councils and commissions, we use uh, quite a few volunteers. So that's one of the reasons we're here is to, to pitch this as a volunteer opportunity for others in the community who might be interested. We do a variety of work on the council. We're trying to address issues that face people with disabilities generally. We also have a transportation and mobility committee because there are so many issues with people who have limited mobility getting around, even getting to doctor's offices and pharmacies to fill prescriptions, let alone getting to work and getting out to do fun things in the community. And then our committee, the Accessibility Committee, is really designed to help local businesses and service providers address their own barriers to access. We do surveys with our committee's members, many of whom have disabilities. We've identified what we think are the major barriers that people encounter when trying to get to a restaurant or a retail store or some service provider. So we have a survey checklist. We'll go in and uh, look for barriers. 
Often it's things involving parking. Bathrooms have numerous issues. In fact, we usually find an issue with accessibility in bathrooms, but it can be other things like aisle width. We then issue a report to the business and sometimes have ideas on how they can rectify those barriers. And once they've removed all the barriers, and in cases where there are no barriers, we award them a decal that they can put in their front window, front door that says people with disabilities welcome here. And it lets the community know not only that does this business care about access, but they've made whatever changes are necessary so that hopefully everyone can be a customer or a, uh, a patron of the business. But all the people, save one who do the, the work, are volunteers. And yeah, we do it on a, a voluntary basis and there is no charge. Sometimes there's money involved in terms of addressing the barriers, but not, not for our services. Yeah, this, I mean, the opportunities are, are just as good for folks like myself, who's a retiree and supposedly has some free time. Uh, it's also a great opportunity for someone who's a student here in order to get involved with something that's government. This is a, this is a great example of government doing good. We talked about recruiting additional volunteers, and that's something we would certainly like to see. But also to any uh, business owners out there or, or store managers, you're certainly encouraged to contact us so that we can come and help you identify and hopefully address barriers, which would not only make you more accessible, but maybe increase your customer base as well, so maybe more profitable. So we're, uh, we're always happy to do that upon request. Our only real limitation is that you be in this city of Bloomington since we're a, a Bloomington council. An additional thing is that you can kind of make your own schedule as a volunteer. Obviously, the business has to be open. So it's one where you can kind of tailor your own day or your own week into actually participating in these assessments. A couple of examples of what I consider to be like major achievements of surveys that I've done. Unfortunately, a place that is no longer open, when I went in there for their survey, they were new in town. Uh, they had one barrier, and the barrier was they hadn't put any signs up in their bathrooms saying that these were accessible, uh, even though they were. And that means I left that place that day with the fact saying I had to tell them that this is the one thing standing in the way of you're getting it, the decal that Chris had, had mentioned before in recognition on the, on the city's website as a facility that has passed. 24 hours later, those signs were up. Uh, I mean, to me, it was like, this is what the job is really, uh, the volunteer work is really all about, because they took, they took the step to do that. There is a CCA website hosted by the City of Bloomington. So if you Google Council for Community Accessibility Bloomington, you'll get there. We also hold a regular meeting on the last Monday of most months. So, and these meetings are open to everyone. You don't need to be invited. They take place at City Hall and over Zoom. I would encourage people to email the CCA at the, the email address is cca at bloomington.in.gov, and that will go to Michael Shermis, who's the liaison between the city and the CCA. There is no requirement other than an interest in participating. We have a lot of people with disabilities who are on our committee, and that's great because they bring their own 
perspectives and life experience, but it's certainly not a requirement. The training normally involves doing a couple of surveys with an experienced surveyor, and then once somebody feels comfortable with the survey process, they're free to do whatever businesses uh, are on our list waiting surveys. All you really need is a tape measure and a clipboard, and I think we might even provide the clipboard these days, uh, and a willingness to, to help, and we'll, we'll, we'll do the rest. Yeah, another point I'd like to make is that for your listeners, if they have had an experience with a, a retail establishment, a, a school, uh, a building or whatever, and they have found that they had trouble accessing it, getting into it, getting through the door uh, or whatever, all they have to do is actually go to the website that Chris mentioned and contact us, uh, inform us of the situation and ask that we do an assessment and out we'll go. You've been listening to Activate, a co-production of WFHB and City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build an empowered, vibrant, engaged community. To find more information about volunteering in your community, visit bloomington.in.gov slash volunteer. The City of Bloomington Volunteer Network aims to inspire, support, and celebrate volunteerism in the community by connecting volunteers of all ages and interests with opportunities to serve. They invite you to get involved and make a difference by visiting bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov to learn more. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.